0: of the 2022 college football bowl season this is the we hate your team podcast i'm kelly ford and with me as always is my co-host zach king kinger bowl season's here how we doing
1: Bowl season, Kelly, doing great. A little 10-day break from college football for everybody. Everybody I know is very anxious to get these bowls underway this Friday with the very prestigious Bahamas Bowl. Some good games, maybe not quite uh, still working our way up towards the big ones, the New year Six and some of these more primetime bowl games, but still some great matchups this weekend, including one between a couple conference champions, the only one including the playoff. Some good games debate this week. Looking forward to another good weekend of football.
0: We got 13 bowl games on the slate that we're gonna do on this week's episode. Um, that's only that's about a third of the total slate. You said it. We're building up towards maybe the quote bigger ones. We're gonna have Irish hokie 24 join us in a couple weeks as we go through the New Year six and college football playoff games as he won the regular season competition pickup competition. Reminder to join our Bowl Mania Pick'Em competition because the winner in this bowl season will be our 2023 Week 1 guest on the podcast. So we will drop the link to that competition uh, with this episode when we post it on Twitter. So make sure you check that out. Make sure you join. It's completely free. If you win, you'll be joining us as our guest in Week 1 of 2023. King, you talked about it. It's the Bahamas Bowl. Let's just start right there. Not just the Bahamas Bowl. It's the hometown lenders Bahamas Bowl. We have Miami of Ohio playing UAB, King. What do you make of this game?
1: Yeah, UAB is a 11-point favorite. Over/under 44 and a half. This is just plain and simple for both these teams here. One one of these teams is walking away with a winning season, the other not. I'd say a little bit underwhelming for both these. I think both these squads had some aspirations to be competing for the respective conference championships this year. Uh, didn't happen. UA defense is supposed to be really good. They unperformed. 94th nationally against the run. 75th in explosive plays allowed. Miami, Ohio offense can be solid. They're efficient through the air. They don't turn the ball over. Only one interception in the last six games. It's all about that Miami defense stopping Dwayne McBride in the run game. Uh, you know, they were best. Uh, they were best in the MAC, 40th nationally, but this is a veteran O-line in the UAB team that's been consistent. They've shown they can put up points. I think the theme that you're going to see from me a lot tonight, Kelly, is that not trusting the MAC defenses. I'm not trusting them here. Give me UAB in this one.
0: King, you say you don't trust the MAC defenses. I'm just going to put the disclaimer out right now at the beginning of the episode. I'll do it each of the next two weeks. I don't really trust my numbers, King, when it comes to bowl season. There's a few reasons for that. Historically, my numbers haven't performed super well in bowl season. I think there's a reason for that. You have various uh, motivational levels for both individual players and teams. My numbers don't see that. You have coaching changes left and right, head coaches and staff. My numbers don't see that. You have player opt-outs. That's becoming more and more prominent in today's day and age. My numbers don't necessarily account for that. There are dozens of factors, King, that go into bowl season that don't go into the regular season, where I very much trust my numbers. They ended up having a 12.35 absolute air this year, which was phenomenal. I was very happy with that. Bowl season, you could see that absolute air kind of skyrocketing.
1: Uh, Kelly, can you maybe explain that to uh, myself and maybe some of the non-smart stats guy out there exactly what that means and why you are so happy with it? For sure.
0: So the absolute error number, there's a couple different ways that you can measure accuracy of a model. Absolute error is the one I've selected. Some people like to tune their model for against the spread. Some people like to tune their model for straight up. So that's whether you're picking the winner of a game straight up or against the spread, obviously trying to pick a winner plus or minus the points in that game set by Vegas. I have chosen to try to optimize my model by absolute error. or Actually, it's it's mean average error, mean absolute error. What that is, is on average, for every single FBS versus FBS game over the course of the season, in 2022 there were 730-something, it is how far off was my projected spread from the final margin in that game. So, for example, King, if we go back to the very beginning of the year, my, I don't remember what the spread was on the game, but I remember Purdue-Penn State. My numbers liked Penn State in that game by four points. Penn State won that game. By four points. My absolute error in that game was zero. It was a a fraction because my numbers like Penn State by like 4.1, let's say. So my absolute error in that game was 0.1. If my numbers would have liked Purdue to win that game by seven, and then Penn State actually won the game by four, my absolute error in that game would have been 11. And so what we do is for every single FBS versus FBS game, you have an absolute error. You then average those over the course of the entire season. That's where my absolute air number this year came out to 12.35. So on average, my numbers were 12.35 points off of the final margin relative to what I was projecting for that game going in. You might say, Kelly, that's nearly two touchdowns. That doesn't sound very good. Vegas's average error is right around 12 points. So it was very, very, and every single tenth of a point, makes a huge difference in the betting sphere and model accuracy. So it's not like I was right there with Vegas, but relative to the other models that are put out there, my numbers performed very, very well. Um, I've gotten some pressure from some folks, hey, Kelly, come on, get back out here with your public picks and, and put those out there for people to interpret, for them to potentially bet on if they'd like, and let's track your numbers alongside some others. The reason I'm hesitant to do that, King, is because I remember in 2020 when I was um, very caught up in my numbers, my projected spreads, and then I didn't even bet the games, right? But I had best bets that I put out there, and they weren't performing very well against the spread. Absolute Air were still doing well, but they weren't doing very well against the spread. It took the fun out of watching college football when I had that public pressure of, hey, Kelly's number said this, the k Ford rating said that. So I'm tracking those things behind the scenes, but if I'm not putting it out there going into the week, I'm not sitting there on Saturday afternoon watching a Miami UAB game saying, oh, my gosh, my numbers have UAB in this game by 7. They need this. I need a field goal here late just to come I'm not doing that. I, I see it afterwards, but it's not front of mind because I'm not putting it out there. So there may come a time in the future where I put those out there again. I'm not ready to do it yet because it just took away so much fun and enjoyment of watching the games, and I'm still very happy with how the model's performing, again, behind the scenes. So you can call these unverified if you want. I get that. I know what the model's doing. I know the work I'm putting into it, and I th- I'm content with that for now. Maybe one day someone will pay me for the model, and they can uh, they can experience those benefits and, and maybe make a little money off it. But that's what Absolute Air King. How how far off? was my projected spread for the actual spread of those games. 12.35, in my opinion, uh, is something that I can be very proud of this year. So, yeah, good question, and I'm sure there's others wondering that
1: too. Well, you've definitely educated myself there as well, as I'm sure some of our listeners out there. But right in line with Vegas, man, that's a great season, right where you wanted to be, right? You're happy with it?
0: No, it was great. It performed very, very well. Um, I'll do an evaluation this summer, as I always do. Uh, I made a couple notes along the way, things that I thought were interesting in live time. We'll see as I do my back testing, which takes days, weeks, months, uh, depending on which factors I'm looking at, whether it's a new factor, changing the weights of the factors. Um, That back testing is a very tedious process, but it's very important and I mean it's critical in the process of making sure my model is as good as it can be going into a season because once the season hits it's hands-off i'm not going to make any changes to the model itself in the season that's that's really bad practice in my opinion so uh we'll see how back testing goes i don't anticipate any major changes but we might see a few tweaks here or there and i can report back on those um in live time as we get closer to august but king for this game in particular uh I, i set the disclaimer I'm not trusting my numbers, but I am going to roll with them in these games because that's what I do. These are two teams, King. You said it. They underachieved this year, King. I have UAB as the number 21 underachiever. 2.2 wins, fewer than expected. Miami, a, a little bit closer to what we expected. 0.7 games, .7 wins below what we expected. UAB's power rate 69. Miami of Ohio, 108. I went to Ohio University for grad school. I don't like Miami, Ohio. I'm picking against them, not for that reason, but it's an added bonus. My number's like UAB. It's a 77% win probability straight up. Give me UAB, and I'm taking them for 38 confidence points, Kinger. Let's move on to the next game. I know you're excited about this one. You mentioned it in the open. It's the Duluth Trading Cure Bowl, King. Two ranked teams here. We have UTSA taking on Troy. Who do you like in this yeah, one?
1: Yeah, this is going to be a fun one. It, like I said it, in my little spiel to the game, this is the only bowl of the season featuring two conference championship, two conference champions. This is definitely has the potential to be one of the more underappreciated bowls this year 2 11 win teams. No major transfers or head coaching changes. UTSA did lose their offensive coordinator to Oregon, but I really don't think that's going to be a major factor in this one. And I really am just going to ride with UTSA. It's because they have Frank Harris. You know, this guy over 70% completion percentage this year, dual threat QB almost 600 yards, five touchdowns on the ground this year. This game is going to fall on his shoulders. This Troy defense is good. They've been great against the run. They struggle mightily on third downs, and I think they're going to make it hard for UTSA to move it on the ground. So I think they need to have a big day from Harris. And defensively, I just think UTSA has enough here. Troy has been Pretty inconsistent, but they have been able to get some big plays through the air this year with QB Gunnar Watson. I think UTSA, if they can generate a turnover to get them off the field, I think they have a chance to really uh to really get a solid win here against a good Troy team. This UTA, I think UTSA is about to get their first bowl win. Give me the roadrunners here.
0: Can you mention Harris? You see the news this a uh, couple weeks ago now, maybe he's coming back. Year two. Year seven, King. Now, he hasn't played every single one of those years, right? But it will be his seventh year, uh, quote, playing college football, well, being on a college football roster. It is wild what we are seeing with some of these eligibilities. Again, with uh, the COVID year being a, a bonus year, it doesn't count. You have, you have normal red shirts. You have medical red shirts. We've got Harris coming back for a seventh year. Uh, UTSA going to be right back in the mix again next year, you'd have to think, right?
1: No doubt about it. And that's exactly why he's doing it. And look, I mean, this guy's a guy who realistically probably isn't going to have too many looks at the NFL at the next level. So if you're a Frank Harris position, you're rocking this kind of dominance of Conference USA these last couple years. You know you're going to have a pretty solid squad coming back. Yeah, you're going to have a new offensive coordinator. But he's one of the best players in college football. There's no doubt about it. He's been solid for them the last few years. It's a no-brainer in my decision. I'd be right there with him coming back.
0: Listen, you're in your mid twenties, man. Like you're only gonna be in that stage of your life once. Once you leave college, uh, it's bit, you can go back, right, for graduate degrees and things of that nature. But it's never quite the same. And so, yeah, soak it up as long as you can. The real world, whether it's NFL or otherwise, will be there waiting for you when you're done. So if you're within the rules, I say go for it. Um, I like UTSA in this game as well, King. Both of these teams, big overachievers this year. Troy, number six on my overachievers list. The Trojans won 3.5 more games than expected. UTSA, not far behind, number 15 on the list, winning 2.4 more games than I thought coming into this year. UTSA power rated 56, Troy power rated 64, so very much the average FBS team. 57% win probability for UTSA straight up. Give me UTSA, and I'm taking them for 13 confidence points. King, I think we're going to spend a little bit extra time on this next game because we've got some intriguing coaching storylines. We're going to the Wasabi Fenway Bowl. It's Cincinnati taking on Louisville. Who do you like in this game? And also, what do you make of the coaching changes, which neither one of the new head coaches will be at this game, but can get this? Both of these teams will be on the same sideline in this game oh, no. because of the way Fenway is It's construct- pretty
1: funny how this is all turned out here. I mean, just... <laughs> I, I don't think you can write this this scenario and how this has happened. I mean, Louisville fans, a lot of them wanted Scott Satterfield out of there. I think he did a lot. The, the Louisville administration, a lot of favors there by just opting to go to Cincinnati. Louisville goes out and hires our guy, Jeff Brom, which I just got to admit and just openly say I'm very happy for Jeff Brom. You know, the opportunity to go home. You can tell, you know, if you look at it from perspective, me and Purdue, my alma mater, I would be chomping at the bits with the opportunity to go be successful at my old school as well. So I'm wishing Jeff nothing but the best here. But yeah, none of the, neither of these two coaches are 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 going to be on the sidelines this weekend. Teams are going to be 20 yards away from one another. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun little spectacle there up at Fenway. But it's going to be an interesting game, and I think this is one's like a lot of these bowl games are. It's going to be hard to evaluate. No Malik Cunningham for Louisville. He's opted out. He was banged up for most of the year. Brock Dahman has not seemed like he's going to be the answer for the Cardinals at QB. The Cincinnati defense been good this year. Louisville's out some positional players on the offense. I can see this being a little bit of a struggle on the offensive side for Louisville. Now, the one thing that I'm sure they're going to try and do is get the run game going a little bit. Cincinnati is one in three this year when they let up 200 on the ground. That's going to be, I'm sure a point of emphasis for Louisville is going to try and be control that time o'clock and run the ball. Cincinnati offense has been just effective enough this year when they needed to be, I think it's going to be a challenge this week. The Louisville secondary is talented. Cincinnati passing gave really did not thrive this year like years past. I really don't have a lot of confidence in this one, but I'm going to take Cincinnati. I think they find a way to get it done as the underdog. I trust that defensive front. They're really good at getting pressure with no real solid option at QB there for Louisville. I could see them being disruptive. So give me the Bearcats here. I'm taking them in the Fenway Bowl.
0: Yeah, the storylines abound, you said it, King. I think Louisville fans have to be like, how did how did we how did this happen? The guy we wanted gone is gone, the guy we wanted is here. It's perfect. Now they're playing each other in this bowl game. It's just it's going to be crazy. The broadcast, I'm sure, will be entertaining to say the least. I'd be surprised if those coaches aren't at the game. I know they're not going to be on the sideline, but I'm sure they'll have a camera on these guys up in the box, their various boxes. Um, you said it. Malik Cunningham not playing. Again, my numbers don't necessarily account for that. This Louisville team has been tough for me to kind of figure out throughout the course of the year. They've been up, they've been down. I currently have them power rated number 25, probably too high, right, without Cunningham. I have Cincinnati power rated number 39. Both of these teams fell within a half game of their expectations. For me, Louisville, a half game overachiever. Cincinnati, a half game underachiever. King, I put out on Twitter the other day, projected bowl game ratings. So basically how good do I think these bowl games are gonna be? And it's a combination of Projected quality, so like the average K-4 rating of the two teams in there, and then competitiveness, so the projected spread. So basically, if you have two teams, let's say Georgia, Ohio State, who have power ratings of 99, that's a great average quality, and their competitiveness, being on a neutral field, is also going to score really, really high, that's going to have a high score, Right. This game, this bowl game, gets a game score of an 82 for me. That's number 14 out of the 41 bowls that we have in FBS versus FBS so far. That's not counting the national championship since we don't know who's in that game yet. So I do think this game on the surface has the makings for a very entertaining and fun, high-quality game. But because of all those factors we talked about earlier, I'm not sure if that's what we're going to get. But it is a a fun bowl game, nonetheless. I'll be excited about it. Any college football is good college football. Uh, I'm taking Louisville in this. I said I have them power rated 25, Cincinnati 39. It's a 58% win probability for Louisville. So our first disagreement here, King, give me Louisville, and I'm taking them for 15 confidence points. And I would echo your sentiments. While I am not... While Purdue is not my number one team that I cheer for, they are the number two team I cheer for. And I always cheer for Purdue, unless they're playing Ohio State. That is the only time I cheer against them. I am happy for Brahm as well. I think him staying four years ago was the right thing at that time, and he agreed. I think him leaving now for him is the right thing, and he obviously agreed as well. And we'll talk about Purdue when we get to their bowl game king um, in a couple weeks, I think. But Purdue's got a new head coach in now. We're recording this on Tuesday night. News broke just this morning. Uh, I think Purdue fans, while they're sad about Brahm and what he's built, the program's in a much, much better place now than it was when he took over. So that's got to be exciting for Purdue fans moving forward. So um, I know we'll talk more about that as we get
1: going. but. I, I got asked asked so if we did it. What do you think about the new Purdue coach game? I've talked myself into it. I think it was I think it was a good organizational program decision here. Young guy who he you know is gonna come in, bust his ass recruiting, really into work hard. It's all about him building out this staff. Going along the defensive side of the ball is obviously airing away from what Purdue has done historically. That's the one Thing in my head where I'm still a little bit, it's going to take me getting used to, and I don't necessarily know if that was the decision that I would have made. But if you look at it holistically, the defensive side of the ball is pretty much struggled mightily over the years bringing in a guy like Ryan Walters, who had the number two ranked overall defense at Illinois this year. Yes, you're playing Big 10 West opponents, but I think he's gonna do wonders to change that defensive mentality. He said it, tweeted out last year, he's looking for dogs in the program. I like his attitude, I like his energy. If he can put together a solid staff, which I have confidence in his ability to do so, I think that this is gonna end up being a good hire for Purdue. It might not work out right, first time head coach, but he's been trending upward. I think he is one of the good young defensive minds in college football. And for a guy that wants to be there, you could tell He's ready to embrace this challenge. Big Ten football has some familiarity with the Midwest already. I think it's a good hire, and I'm excited to see what he can do for the Boilermakers.
0: Love that. I'll share more of my thoughts when we get to Purdue, but since I teed it up, I had to ask you. uh, Broad strokes, I think I'm with you on that. So uh, it's an exciting time for Purdue fans, even uh, despite uh, Brahms' departure there. King, this next game, it's our annual FCS game that we pick here. It's the Cricket Celebration Bowl. We've got Jackson State, no Deion Sanders. Uh, taking on NC Central in this game, King. I don't have a lot for it. I don't you have a lot
1: for it either. I'm just gonna think. I'm just gonna go ahead and say that Jackson State, without Dion, without Shadur Sanders, without some of this roster turnover and kind of the how the program, I guess you'd say, has been flipped upside down and put in shambles here over the last week, and then some of the stuff that came out about how they handled the football funds and maybe how Dion was treated down there with some of those uh, questionable decisions by the organization or by the school and how they manage some of that money. So I, I, I think I picked Jackson State last year in this game, when they, in their bowl game, and they played South Carolina State and lost. So we're just going to keep the trend going. I'm picking <laughs> against Jackson State this year. So give me North Carolina Central.
0: Oh, I love it, King. Yes, I picked Jackson State last year too. And if I do recall on last year's bowl pick em, I think I put a lot of points on Jackson State because they were a big favorite. And I was like, Yes, you know I what? bet
1: Jackson State too, yes.
0: Yeah, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna roll with it. And I think after that I said never again. I don't do FCS ratings yet. That could be something that's coming in the future. But for now, I don't do numbers for them. So I'm not gonna put any extra stock in there. So I'm sticking to my stance from last year, came okay, my resolution from the end of last year. I'm gonna take Jackson State because they are the favorite. So I'm gonna roll with that. But I'm taking them for one confidence point. So give me Jackson State two games in a row. We're disagreeing on their king. Quick, King, I know we've talked about it um, on whether it was a Twitter space or our live show, Dion going to Colorado. Just real quick.
1: Do you like that or not? And then why? Yeah, do I like not? it. That's a complete game changer for Colorado. They needed to go get a splash hire. This is a program that was once pretty respected in college football. Had some really good teams over the years. That's really been in the down and the dumpers uh, for for a good number of years now. I think it was going to be hard for them to attract a big name job. They had to be willing to to throw some money and try and get a name that was really going to generate some interest from some of these recruits and really get the Colorado name back in people's minds when it comes to recruiting being revel- relevant again. And there's no better way to do it than Deon Sanders. I think he's assembling a really good staff there. Obviously Boulder's a beautiful destination. I think there there is some good football tradition, football history there. I think this is a great move for them. They're going to be relevant in the recruiting battle absolutely for all these five stars in the top players in the country once again. And it's just all about again how he recruits, how he puts together his staff and and how he how these guys end up performing under him, but from a leadership perspective and putting Colorado back on the map, it's a home run hire for for them.
0: I liked it when I first saw the News King and as I've had more time to digest and think about it. I love it now because for a couple of reasons, Colorado was the worst power five program in 2022 and it really wasn't even that close. I mean, they were in the bottom 10 of all FBS. So what that says is you have do no to go. Who they beat this year? Uh, I was thinking was- about this
1: because that was probably the worst loss of FBS this year. I was, I was thinking about that.
0: I'm sure I have the team sheet here pulled up. Uh, Colorado. Here we go. It was a conference game. They won at home what? against Cal, Cal, and it was a oh, no Cal.
1: Cal. And, I, and if I do, if I do remember
0: correctly, I think it was an overtime game, and they ended up storming the field and all of that stuff. So they finished the year one and eleven. Their one win was against Cal. They finished the year number one twenty three in my power ratings. So, King, there's only one way to go, and that's up. You basically have nothing to lose then at this point, right? Like, you can't get much worse. So let's swing big. Deion Sanders is that. And more more than just that, though, King, I think he's proven he could attract some talent to Jackson State. Now he's going to Colorado, where, as you said, King, not in the last 20 or 25 years, with the exception of maybe one or two years here or there. I think it was 2016 they won a bunch of games, uh, maybe even made the Pac-12 championship game. I think they won 10 games in 2016. But outside of that year, hasn't been much to write home about in the last 20, 25 years. But go back just five more years before that, came. This team shared a national championship in 1991, I think. It was, 1990, 1991. 90, in the early yeah. 90s. 1990, there you go. Uh, Washington got it in 91. They, I think they split that with Miami maybe or something. Um, p Dog's going to get at me for not knowing that one. But, yes, this program has had national relevance and historical success. If you look at what the Pac-12 is going to be... As we currently understand it, obviously membership is very fluid in today's day and age, but with UCLA and USC leaving the Pac-12 here in the next couple of years, look at the remaining programs in the Pac-12. Which one has a brand with historical significance in football that resonates more than Colorado? I would say it's Washington, it's Oregon because of just the awesome trajectory they've been on in the last 20, 25 years. Basically, since Colorado has not been relevant, Oregon has, Um, and then... I mean, U- Utah has U- absolutely Utah. Made, a, made a huge name for themselves in recent years. Again, that's an up-and-comer just in the Mountain West 10 years ago or whatever it was. So, outside of those three, though, King, like Colorado's probably that next one right there. That's not to say Stanford can't be good again. They were very good under Harbaugh, even Shaw at the beginning. We know he's moved on now. That's not to say Arizona State could get hot at some point and, and do some things. Oregon State's a team we're going to talk about here in our next game, King. They are maybe building some momentum. But in terms of established brands, Colorado's right there in that top three or four of that conference, in my opinion. So getting someone like Dion in there to attract the talent, turn it around, and see what they can do. I mean, you're one of the premier programs, whether, whether people agree or not. I think they're one of the premier programs west of the Rockies. I guess they're right in the Rockies. In the Rockies or west, there's a lot of good college football or high school football players that come out of that whole half of the country, right? And in recent years, they've been going to Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, you name it. USC starting to keep some there now. If Colorado could pick up a few of those, they could turn that thing around maybe in a hurry. So I love that uh, higher King. The more I've thought about it, the more time I've had to digest. And again, if it doesn't work out, Colorado says, okay, we were terrible before. We're still terrible. Let's try again. And we'll, we'll go for another hire. Like, when you're already down at the bottom, there's only one way to go, which means you're kind of you, – you have all, all reward, no risk. So – um, we talked about I talked about Oregon State there for a second, King. Let's go to the SRS distribution Las Vegas Bowl. We have Florida playing Oregon State. Who do you like in this game? Yeah, case? Oregon
1: State's a ten-point favorite in this, and you would think maybe on paper, Florida team that that. Wasn't a good football team this year, but they've competed in a lot of games. It, that spread seems like an awful lot, but they're starting QB. Anthony Richardson already com, com, uh, committed, declared for the draft next year. They're out with All-American guard, Osiris Torrance. So they're immediately behind the gun a little bit here. Jack Miller, QB1 for Florida. He's going to have a tough challenge versus a good Oregon State defense. Top 20 in rushing yards allowed per game. Top 10 in EPA per pass allowed. Florida ground game, they're 15th nationally, 213 yards per game. That matchup versus that Oregon State run defense is the one to watch in this game. I think QB play from Oregon State is is the one to watch on the other side. Ben Gulbranson hasn't been asked to do much this year, thrown for just two over 200 just once over the last six games. We know Oregon State, what they did to Oregon in the Civil War last week of the college football season, that's Oregon State likes to run the ball. They like to try and punish teams on the ground. Florida has not been good against the run. They're ninth in the SEC, four and a half yards per carry average on the ground. That's going to be a matchup that Florida's going to have to step up this week. And a couple stats that are making me think, I think 10's too much here, basically the way that Oregon State plays. I'm going to take Florida plus 10 this week. Florida sneaky ten as a 10-plus point dog this season. They're 3-0 against the spread, but Oregon State, their second best this season against the spread, finishing a 10-2 and record. I'm going to take the SEC team here. 10.5 is a lot for Oregon State team, again, that I think is so one-dimensional. I do like them to win this game. I'm taking them to win, but I'm going to take Florida to cover plus 10 there.
0: I really like the coaches in this, this game, King. So for Oregon State, Jonathan Jonathan Smith gets the extension. He's got his alma rightfully, mater. Trent, rightfully Trent. deserved, yep. Absolutely. Trending in the right direction. This is an Oregon State team that uh, finished number 13 on my overachievers list. 2.7 more wins than I expected coming into this year. I think that's a program that is definitely on the rise and doing the right things to uh, potentially become a contender out there in the Pac-12 under, um, under Jonathan Smith. So... I like Oregon State, but I also like Billy Napier King. Uh, we liked, I liked him when he got hired at Florida. I like him even more now. He recently started following me on Twitter. So, you know, kind of... I'm not even a Every humble brag. Yeah, I'm, I'm, bra- I'm just bragging at this point. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, it hasn't happened a whole lot for me, so gave him the immediate follow back. I am rooting for Florida for that reason. Um, but my numbers in this game do like oregon state i have oregon state power rated number 24 florida number 26 florida just about a game under expectation for what i expected uh wins wise coming into this year uh it's a very very close one i see this as less than a point um i know vegas has it at 10. again vegas is accounting for all of those things that i am not but I do like Oregon State still to win this game straight up. So I'm going to take the Beavers in this, and I'm going to take them for four confidence points, King. So we are now five games in, and we disagree on more than half the games, which um, I always find refreshing. and Wait, enjoyable. you just took Florida? No, I took Oregon State. You took Florida.
1: No, I took Oregon State, bro. I'm taking Florida to cover 10, but I'm taking Oregon State to win the game.
0: All right, so we are both on Oregon State, then, to win the Las Vegas Bowl. King, this next bowl, it's the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl presented by Stifle. We've got Washington State playing Fresno State. And we didn't talk about it in the opening because I knew we were going to hit this game. We were recording this on a Tuesday, as I said earlier. Uh, just this morning, the news broke about the passing of Mike Leach. Of course, he is, was the head coach at Mississippi State. But prior to that, Washington State. And then prior to that, Texas Tech. Mike Leach is someone king who I think unquestionably revolutionized the game of football. Not just college football, you can see his fingerprints on the NFL game, on the high school game. The way that he thought about football, specifically the offensive side of the ball, is something that I don't believe we'd ever seen before him. And I won't suggest that we won't have trailblazers like him that come later, but I don't think we'll ever have someone of that exact mold mike leach was absolutely one of a kind of course suffered a massive heart attack and again passed away i believe he was 61 years old sometimes king we get so wrapped up and caught up in the football games and again this is a college football podcast of course we're going to talk about the games that we don't always think about the people that are either playing or coaching those games as people and that's who they are first and foremost just like you and i are and everyone listening to this just terrible, sad news, King. There's really not a good way to put it, other than to try to just remember all the times that Mike Leach made us laugh, whether intentionally or not. I think most of it was, was intentional. The way the comments that he had in the press conferences, his interviews on the field after the game, halftime, whatever, he always said something that you were like, wait, what did what did Mike just say? Like, what did he just say? I will miss that tremendously as much, if not more, than I will miss his football mind, which was undoubtedly one of the best we have ever seen, King.
1: No doubt about it. And I got a routine in the morning. It's probably not a healthy routine. But when I wake up, I'm immediately on the phone. I check the email to make sure if I didn't miss anything super important with work. But I go right to Twitter within 90 seconds of waking up just about every morning. It's not, a lot of people would tell you that's probably not the healthiest way to start your day, but I I know I'm an addict and I have a problem. And to wake up this morning and see that news, I mean, it's just absolutely crushing. And you touched on a lot of the points that I would say, but what he did for football and how he revolutionized the air raid offense, the success that he has had at now three different programs, it truly is amazing. And then in today's world where everybody, college football coaches, everybody's so uptight, worried about what they were going to say, how they present themselves. You don't want to slip up around your program, around your, uh, make your school look bad or make yourself look bad in any way. Mike Leach was just truly an authentic human being and he would be willing to talk to you about anything. You mentioned some of the stories and just his interviews over the years. You can tell he was a genuinely caring person, cared about the people within the sport, brilliant football mind, brilliant offensive mind, 61 years old, sad to see him go. I just All the videos surfacing these last few days, it's been fun to watch. I feel like it was just yesterday I was watching him fold up the side, the, the chairs on the sideline because he didn't think his his wide receivers were, were performing up to the level of expectations. And just truly the authentic, authenticity of Mike Leach, the way he presented himself, it was something that I don't think will be replicated in college football. It's tremendous loss that, that for him to go, and college football won't be the same without him. That's for sure.
0: A very sad day indeed, King. I think my favorite story. There's many of them out there. I think my favorite one might be a story that was published a few years ago, but again resurfaced recently because of his passing uh, back in. I think it was '99. Uh, the Red River rival, the Red River shootout. Excuse me where he left a dummy playbook on the field for Texas to find, ended up using that to get Oklahoma out to a big 17-0 lead. Texas came back to win that game, a game they were heavily favored in. But that right there, like what coach would leave a dummy playbook thinking, you know what, this might actually work. Well, it did work, and uh, I think that right there captures the essence of Mike Leach, which, again, playful at heart, incredibly intelligent, and just kind of went about life and football the right way in many respects. uh, Really really kept things in perspective. But King, for this game in particular, again, it's the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl presented by Stifle. I'm gonna go with, with Mike Leach's old team here. Not for Mike Leach, but for the purposes of this, why not? For Mike Leach, um, I have Washington State power-rated number 45. Fresno State power-rated number 61. Washington State was an overachiever for me this year, winning 1.8 more games than expected. Fresno State winning uh, just under one game, uh, less than I expected, so a slight underachiever there. I like Washington State in this game. I've got him with a 60% win probability, so I'm taking the Cougars, and I'm taking them for 16 confidence points. Kane, what about you?
1: Yeah, this is a game that I think Vegas knows something that I don't because Fresno being favored by three and a half here seems very fishy to me. And you, I look at this, and you got to remember, you talk about Washington State being, you said it was, uh, this is a team that's only won one game like it's another bowl-eligible team, and that was Wisconsin week two. So Washington State wins, been a little bit shaky this year, but this Fresno team started awful, one and four. They're trying to be, become the first team to start one and four and win ten games in college football history. And my gut tells me that I do think Wisconsin, or that Washington State has the advantage here. Cam Ward, this is a guy transferring incarnate. incarnate world, talked repeatedly about his turnover issues at the beginning of the year. This is a guy that has the potential to be really good next year. He's buttoned up those turnover issues. He's a really good dual threat. He still struggles with the accuracy a little bit, but you can see the tools are there. And this is a guy that I think is going to continue to grow in this Washington State system. I mean, you talk about Hainer on the other side and Jalen Cropper. They've got some talented guys on, on in this Jeff Tedford Fresno State offense, Washington State's going to be without their star, Diane Headley, but this is still a very good secondary, and I still think Washington State is the better team here. I think they're going to be able to score points on this Fresno State defense, and I trust that secondary to make plays in the passing game when they need to. So I am taking Washington State as well in this game.
0: All right, King, let's go to the Lending Tree Bowl. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, my numbers kind of think this one's a bit of a stinker. It's got a game score of 39. That is the third worst bowl game that we're looking at, King. We've got Rice in Southern Miss. Who are you taking here?
1: Yeah, Southern Miss is 6.5 point favorite over under 46.5. Kelly calling it a stinker is very fair. I don't think this is a game that's (laughs) going to get a uh, ton of viewers on this one. Both teams struggling with QB play. This is a pretty crazy stat about Southern Miss, that Southern Miss has had 15 quarterbacks take snaps over the last two years. It's been very tough for them to be consistent. They lost three of their last four this season, but this is a Rice defense that's really struggled. 91st nationally, 102nd explosive play rate. This Southern Miss offense has been up and down, but I think there's an opportunity for them to move the ball here. They have the best player in this game, running back Frank Gore Jr. The strength is obviously, or is on the Southern Miss defense as well. Rice has really struggled on the offense's end to move the ball. So I like Southern Miss a lot here. I'm going to take them minus six and a half. That's one of my best bets this, this week, and I'm taking Southern Miss to win this game.
0: So, King, um, neither one of these teams very good. Southern Miss power-rated number 97. Rice power-rated number 117. Here's the good news, though. If you happen to be a fan of one of these two teams, both of these teams find themselves on my overachievers list. Southern Miss wins .6 more games than I expected. How about Rice? They won 1.5 more games than I expected. So while these teams, not very good, still had better seasons than I thought coming in, which... Honestly, at the end of the day, that's how I evaluate a team on a season. Did you over or underperform relative to my preseason realistic expectations? There are some instances where I'm like, eh, my preseason realistic expectations were off. But in the vast majority of cases, I think my numbers are pretty um, spot on for what we should expect from a team. They're they're usually pretty close to the Vegas over-under, which I think is another good gauge. So if you exceed those, whether your team's good or not, good season, if you fall short, good or not. Probably not a great season. Both these teams overachieved in that regard. Uh, give me Southern Miss, 69% win probability. I'm taking Southern Miss for 31 confidence points. King, the New Mexico Bowl. How about that? No no sponsor thrown in there. Just This is the New Mexico Bowl, and I bet you it's played in New Mexico. We have SMU taking on BYU. Uh, man, just short team names, no sponsor. You can just get this one out. I love it. Who do you like in this game, fam? SMU
1: is a 5.5-point favorite, over-under 64.5, and, a half, and- To me, just going through bowl games, BYU quietly. I'm Looking at this, and I'm still in my head, I'm shocked we're talking about BYU in a bowl game because I feel like every time we discussed BYU this year, it was negative, right? They had their real rough stretch in the middle of the season this year, but they found a way to become bowl eligible. And ultimately at the end, I think SMU is going to score some points here. This is not a good BYU defense. They're 93rd nationally, 119th and third down conversion. This does not seem to be a good matchup for them for this, versus this SMU offense that's top 10 nationally in passing. They have a very good QB in Tanner Mordecai, good wide receiver unit led by Rashi Rice. I don't think BYU is the bet team to bet on here to stop them on the defensive side of the ball. SMU's got a little bit of a run here. They've won four or five to end the season. They aren't very good defensively, but I really don't trust a lot of BYU from what I've seen this year, so I'm taking the must things in this one as well
0: SMU had the season I expected they hit right on the number that I had for projected wins BYU fell exactly one game short King you mentioned it it did seem like this team early on you're like hey they might make some noise this year it might be a little bit of that 2020 magic then things really fell off then they got it back a little bit enough to be bowl eligible as you said I have SMU power rating number 55 BYU number 63 so very much the average FBS team it's a 55% win probability for SMU. So give me the Mustangs. I'll take them with you there. Uh, I'm taking them for eight confidence points. King, the Frisco Bowl. We've got North Texas right there in Frisco. or I think they're in Denton, but uh, still in North Texas, taking on Boise State, King. Who do you like in this one, North Texas, Boise
1: State? Boise's 10.5-point favorite, over-under 58. And we talk about Frank Harris coming back next year. Well, this quarterback for North Texas, Austin on? he will not be coming back next year the 29 year old is finally suiting up for his last game for north texas he's had uh he's had a run playing college football till you're almost 30 he's gonna make a run at the nfl next year we'll be interested to see how that goes for him but uh suiting up for his last game and so north texas they've got some some controversy some coaching controversy there they're still looking for their new head coach they ended up firing seth latrell dc phil bryant taking over North Texas on a five-game bowl losing streak. And this North Texas defense that Phil Bryant has been in charge of this year, this they've really struggled. They're body, bottom 25 in both the run and pass defense alike. Their offense has been the reason they've won games this year, and they're going to need another big day versus this solid Boise State defense. Talon Green played pretty bad versus Fresno in that Mountain West championship game, but I still like the combination of him and George Helani versus this very porous North Texas defense. So I think they're going to be able to run the ball. I think they're going to be able to make the stops when they need to. I I, I am going to trust Boise's defense there. Although North Texas has been efficient on the offensive side, I think they are going to have a little bit of a bounce-back week here. So I'm taking Boise. I'm pretty confident in this one as well. Give me Boise State.
0: Boise State had just about the year I expected 0.1 fewer wins than projected. North Texas, um, not a great team, power-rated 86, but had 0.5 more wins. So, again, not a great team, but a good year. Um, King, I like Boise State in this game, too. They're power-rated 57. I like him big. It's a 73% win probability. Uh, 29-year-old quarterback there uh, playing his last game, as you said. Again, it's crazy with uh, the eligibility rules and and everything that's going on these days. But uh, credit to him. He lived his life and uh, had a great college football career. We'll see what the future holds for him there. I'm taking Boise State. I'm taking them for 33 confidence points. They're going to get it done, I think, in North Texas's backyard. King, I'll take this next one first, because if we thought that Rice uh, Southern Miss was a stinker, let's go to the Myrtle Beach Bowl. (laughs) We have Marshall playing UConn. Let me first say, the fact that we're talking about UConn in mid-December going to a bowl game is something that should be celebrated. I mean, that's something, King, we we talked about it at the beginning of the year when we did our Independence preview, teams that we hate, teams that we love, um, surprises or whatever. I harped pretty hard on a couple teams, including New Mexico State, who's also bowl eligible, and UConn, being like in UMass, who didn't turn it around this year. Like, guys, I understand you're not good. I understand you haven't been good in a while. You don't have to be the absolute worst in FBS year over year. UConn, to their credit, finishes this year power rated 121. That's still not good, but that's relatively good by UConn standards in recent years. 33 more wins than expected, King, for UConn this year. That comes out number nine on my on my overachievers list. So credit to Jim Mora, credit to the UConn program. It's exciting to see them going bowling. That said, this is not going to be a good game. I have it with a game score of 35. It is the second lowest rated bowl game of all the bowl games that we're going to be talking about on the podcast in the next couple of weeks, King I think Marshall is going to get it done. I have the Thundering Herd power rated 67. They have the year that I thought they would, 0.2 more wins than expected. It's an 87% win probability straight up. However, this is the first time UConn's going bowling in how many years. They could be extra motivated. I don't think Marshall won't be motivated by any means, but you never know. It could be a little bit closer, but I'm taking Marshall. I'm taking him for 40 confidence points, King. That is darn near as confident as we can be. Give me the thundering! I think
1: I deserve some credit. I I, I got to go back and find the soundbite here, but I, I, I'm quoted on the podcast saying that Jim Mora is going to lead the Yukon Huskies back to dominance, and I, you know, I may or may not have said that as a joke, but I'm going to say <laughs> that that was a real comment by me. And if they and you got
0: you got it done in year one, King.
1: Year one. And when they make the New Year's Six Bowl in 2025, then I <laughs> then that's when all the credit really comes back to me. No, but it has been a great season for UConn. It's a really cool story for them after all the, all the down years and the struggles that that program's been through. But they're going to have, they've got a tough challenge here. This Marshall defense is really good. They've carried the team this year. Top 10 in points allowed, top five against the run. The weak link and the Marshall defense is definitely the secondary, but it's still not a bad unit. They have a big time advantage here versus a very one-dimensional UConn offense. I like Marshall's ability to stop the run here. That's where UConn lives. They really can't throw the ball. They are a bottom five team nationally in passing. Marshall offense not good, but they have a stud back in Kalen Laborn, who's at almost 1,500 yards on the air. I don't think Utah's to be able to score enough points here, so give me the Thundering Herd to win this game.
0: King, let's go to one of the best named bowls out there. It's the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. It's Eastern Michigan taking on San Jose State. I promise I'm not going to say this for every bowl. It's just the nature of these Week One bowls. We're going back to the well. It's the third time tonight that we're talking about a game projected to be in the bottom five of the bowl matchups. This game, for me, a game score of 44. Not very good. Um, Neither one of these teams, Eastern Michigan in particular, power rated number 109. Again... Relative to their expectations, a very good year for Eastern Michigan. 2.1 more wins than expected. That's top 25 nationally. So a great year relative to their expectations. This is still not a very good team. San Jose State, very similar. 1.7 more wins than expected. That's, that's number 31 in the entire country. And their power rate is slightly better at 82. So still below average. But because of that difference there, um, it's a 68% win probability for San Jose State. I think San Jose State gets it done. Give me the Spartans, and I'm taking them for 28 points in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. I just like saying Constant that. Constant
1: theme that I said was going to be addressed in the podcast tonight. This Eastern Michigan defense is not good, it's a MAC defense. I think this sets up well for Chevin Cordero and that offense. San Jose State has struggled a little bit the last few weeks. This could be an opportunity for them to bounce back here. San Jose State defense has been good all season. They've held up well in the 15th in points allowed in the nation. But I think Eastern Michigan has good enough offense. I think they're going to score some points. I wouldn't be surprised if they go over 54 and a half here. I'm also leaning San Jose State. I'm going to break the trend. No, I'm sorry. I'm not going to break the better trend. They do have the better defense here. So give me San Jose State this week.
0: King, from one of the best-named bowls to one of the worst, uh, we have the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl. I disagree. It's one of the
1: worst. I like the Boca Raton Bowl, Kelly.
0: You like the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl? I do. RoofClaim.com. Okay, I think Boca Raton's fine. I'm not sure how I feel about RoofClaim.com being the sponsor, but hey... I didn't pay the money. They did. They get their spot. Uh, since you like it so much, King, we'll let you start with this one. It's Liberty and Toledo. What do you make of this game?
1: Yeah, Toledo's a five-point favorite, over under 54. Liberty team. Going to be interesting here. They're down ahead, Coach, as everybody knows. Hugh Freeze took the job at Auburn. They really spiraled here. They lost their last three. Not sure what type of team we're going to get here. The last time we saw them was a 35-point blowout loss to New Mexico State. They've had some good wins this season, but I'm just not sure if they're going to continue their previous bowl success here. As we know, Liberty's really done well here these last few years. I'm going to trust a Kwan Finn in this Toledo offense. He's been banged up, but they've had some momentum in the run game. He's a great dual threat guy. This Liberty defense has been very average this year. They've really struggled the last few weeks. Definitely wouldn't feel comfortable laying five with Toledo, but I'm going to take the Rockets this week.
0: King. Liberty was crushing it. To your point, they were at one point of the season sitting at 8-1. and one. They had just won on the road at Arkansas. And at that time, they were number five in my overachievers list at that point of the season. They went on to lose their next three games against UConn, Virginia Tech, and New Mexico State. None of those teams very good this year, King. We've already talked about UConn. We will talk about New Mexico State at some point on the bull pick'em. I think it's very clear, to me at least, at what point in time Hugh Freeze's attention switched from Liberty to Auburn. I think it was after the Arkansas game because this team just fell apart. Nevertheless, Liberty still finishes the year with .5 more wins than I expected. Toledo had a disappointing year, King. 1.2 fewer wins than expected. But I still think Toledo's a slightly better team here. I have Toledo power-rated 78. Liberty power rated number 80, so I am going to take Toledo. I'm going to take him for five confidence points. And, King, since we did it earlier with with Dion, let's do it now with Hugh Freeze. Again, I know we've talked about this a little bit. What do you think of the Hugh Freeze hire at Auburn? You like it, you don't like it, or do you need some more time to uh, think about it? I don't
1: it? like it. I've set on the record from the start that I don't think it was the right move for Auburn with Auburn's really been in the dumps the last few years with the program and they needed a guy that was really gonna build it, bring in a brand new culture, start from the ground up, really bring Auburn back in that conversation of being one of the premier sec destinations with hugh freeze's history there's no doubt he's a brilliant football mind but i don't know if he's going to garter the support from the players from the recruits i just don't know if he's the face that you can build your program around if you're auburn i don't know that he moves the needle in the in the state of alabama where alabama i've talked about how they've cleaned up these five-star four-star recruits just in the southeast in general i don't think he moves the needle, needle for auburn I've got probably a three-year clock, three-year limit on it, if you ask me. I just don't think in the position that Auburn was in, looking at a complete cultural shift, I don't know why you go hire a guy like Hugh Freeze. Regardless of the success that he has had, you can't say that he has built a positive culture in, or I guess a sustainable culture. Liberty maybe was too soon to, he did leave Liberty in, in a good space, but I don't think he's built a sustainable, healthy culture in any program he's been at thus far. I don't think it was the right move for Auburn.
0: I tend to agree with you, King. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to put the three-year clock on it. Like you said, I think he's out of there in three years. I'm not ready to go that far. Um, however, I do think there's a scenario where things get sideways relatively early on, and, and we do see coaches get fired less than three years in, especially at a place like Auburn. So I'm not saying that's out of the realm of possibility. I'm just not ready to go there yet. I think Hugh Freeze is a good football coach. I think Hugh Freeze has the ability to, when circumstances are right to pull big upsets, win games that people didn't think he could or should or would. What I don't know, what I haven't seen from Hugh Freeze, whether it's at Liberty or Ole Miss or uh, I believe it was Arkansas State for a year, I haven't seen him have the ability to sustain, as you said, you you said build and sustain a good culture. I'll take it to the football field. I haven't seen him been able to build and sustain a high-quality product week in and week out and again maybe Ole Miss isn't fair because Ole Miss wasn't very good when he got there and he took them to great heights and he did all that and then he goes to Liberty of course with not a lot of history tradition and so he built them into a respectable program um but this is the big t- this, this is big time this is Auburn and I'm not suggesting that Ole Miss is not there's certainly a, a force to be reckoned with especially with Lane Kiffin there now but this is Auburn it's a little bit different they've won a national championship uh just over 10 years ago now. Um, This is a program that expects to win. They expect to win big, and it is only magnified by the fact that their two chief rivals, that being Alabama and Georgia, have had significant success, arguably more success than any other two programs in the entire country over the course of the last 10 to 15 years, right? Alabama would say been in the dynasty, Kirby Smart getting Georgia up to that level um, here in the last five or six years. So, Not only are you expected to win, you're expected to win big, you're expected to win now, your two chief rivals are miles ahead of the field and you're being tasked with closing that gap. So it's a very tough job. Uh, I think there are probably a couple other people that Auburn could have gone after, had a decent chance to get, and maybe we wouldn't be asking the culture or off-the-field questions that we're asking about Hugh Freeze. Hey, he's there now. He's got an opportunity. Let's see what he does with it but I think some people are right to be skeptical about the prospects there. Uh, Certainly not a home run hire, but I think has the potential to be a good hire. It could flip on a razor blade here one way or the other. Margins are thin in college football. We could be talking about one or two plays that flip a game, that ultimately then flip a season, that ultimately then flip the trajectory of his uh, path at Auburn. So don't know when it'll happen, don't know where, but... uh, It'll be interesting to follow, nonetheless. It was a big splash hire, as you said. So uh, we'll be keeping our eyes on that for sure. King, we are into the final game that we're going to pick on this week's episode. It is the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl. We've got Western Kentucky playing South Alabama. What do you think about the RNL carriers in New Orleans? Yeah, South
1: Alabama's a four and a half point favorite over under 56. In Western Kentucky, you got some good news this week. Tyson Helton Stan, that's a name that's been thrown around to a couple different jobs. Their QB, Austin Reed, entered the transfer portal and ended up pulling his name out. I actually think that was a guy that Purdue was taking a, a close look at. That would have been ironic if they went and got another Western Kentucky guy after Jeff Brom. But good news for the Hilltopper program here. That's huge for this passing offense. That's ranked second in the nation. This is a South Alabama defense that has been stout against the run, but they have really struggled through the air. And I think this is a good matchup for Western Kentucky this week. I think they're going to be able to capitalize throwing the football. And on the other side, I think the Western Kentucky defense is good enough to hang in here. This is a Salabama offense that has some players. Carter Bradley been pretty good at QB. They got a thousand yard rusher. This is a very balanced offense. And I do think they score some points, but I'm going to take the underdog here. I think Western Kentucky has enough on the offensive firepower here to, to get a win in this game. So give me Western Kentucky as a four and a half point underdog here.
0: I absolutely love what I've seen from South Alabama this year, King. 4.2 more wins than expected. That is number three nationally behind only TCU and Duke. I think it's incredibly impressive what's going on at South Alabama. I have them power rated number 68. That's right in the middle of FBS, much higher than they were in the preseason. Phenomenal season for South Alabama. Uh, I'm a bit surprised that they are underdogs in this game. Well, maybe I'm not. My numbers are, but knowing what we know about you know the quarterback transferring and other player opt-outs, the uncertainty around the head coach at Western Kentucky, of course he is staying, as you just announced. Um, my numbers don't see all those things right. So I have Western Kentucky in this game. I have them with a 57% win probability because I have the Hilltoppers power rated number 60 to South Alabama's 68 Western Kentucky had the year we expected, uh, 0.2 wins fewer than we thought in August. So give me Western Kentucky, I'll go with you on that one, and I'm going to take the Hilltoppers for 14 points. So, King, that is the 13 bowl games uh, of week one bowl season. We have many, many more to get to in the coming weeks, but that will wrap up um, the picks portion of the podcast you, you mentioned a couple uh, best bets that you have. Any others that we haven't touched on already for this opening week, King, that you want to make sure our listeners get?
1: No, I'm tempted to bet the entire board this weekend, if I'm being honest, Kelly. Uh, But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be responsible. I'm still seeing ghosts a little bit after the poor conference championship weekend. But we're going to rock with three plays. That is almost assuredly going to expand. But I'm going to take Southern Miss minus 6.5. I'm going to take Florida plus 10. And I'm going to take UTSA plus 2. That Western Kentucky game is very tempting to me to take Western Kentucky as a dog. And I I do like that over in that Toledo-Liberty game. But we're going to wait and see what happens. Those are the three plays that I've got locked in until this point. Let's get hot for bowl season. That's what happened last year. Let's get hot again. I
0: I love it, King. Let's absolutely get hot. Let's finish the year strong for what it's worth. After I've already given the disclaimer, I don't trust my numbers in bowl season, at least for non-CFP games. I agree with you on all three of those, plus your lean in the Western Kentucky game, King. So, uh, take that for what it is. Again, not putting a whole lot of stock in them, but if it, if it makes you feel better or anybody else, uh, that's makes what's me out feel there better, for, Kelly. <laughs> for, for right now. I love it. That's great. Um, all right. Well, King, that'll do it for this week's episode then. Thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Make sure you jump in our Bull Mania Pick'Em competition. We will post that link again, but again, it is free to join. You have nothing to lose, everything to gain. If you're at all interested in uh, being a guest, I guess, in the 2023 season, week one. If you're not interested in that, then I guess you have nothing to gain either except for bragging rights. But we are looking forward to having Irish hokie 24 join us. He was our regular season champion. He'll join us here in Bullmania week three, I believe, is when we'll get to the New Year Six and CFP. For your chance to join us week one, 2023 season, hop in our bullmania Mania Pick'Em. We will take the winner, and uh, we're looking forward to it. It's always fun to get a listener on the podcast with us, King. Uh, They bring a unique perspective and one that I know you and I both very much enjoy. So until next time, enjoy week one of the 2022 bowl season.